you're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Holstein. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Well, good morning again. If I've never had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Jace Williamson. I'm one of the pastors here in charge of discipleship and student ministry. And if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, you need to be active with the fingers this morning, all right? Or if you're like, dude, I got a phone, this is easy. But we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1, uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, and then we're going to look at one verse in Deuteronomy chapter 15. So I will, I will definitely tell you where we're going. But um, we have been uh, in a series called Rhythms, looking at spiritual practices or disciplines. And what we have tried to say is that God desires to use your everyday rhythms, your normal everyday life for his glory. And hopefully one of the undertones that you have gotten from this series so far is that spiritual practices are ways at cultivating a life in God. Like this is a way to get deeper in love with Jesus. This isn't uh, me earning my way up the mountain to God. This is ways that we cultivate a life in God. So last week we looked at the simple practice of eating and drinking and how the simple act of gathering around a table can be kingdom-minded. And this week, we're going to be looking at this concept of Sabbath or rest. And what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to build a biblical theology, a, a tracing a theme through the scriptures and from, from a few places and hopefully give you a good idea uh, of what this means. And so there's a quote that I think about quite often, and it says this, If the devil can't make me sin, he'll make me busy. There is good evidence that we are living in one of the most work-obsessed cultures to ever exist. And the Japanese have a term that basically translates to death by overwork, where people, young professionals in their 20s and 30s, die of stroke or heart attack, or even in some cases where they forget to eat, so starvation simply by overworking. And studies show that in 2011 alone, in Japan, there were 30,000 suicides. And they believe that 10,000 of those, a third of those, were due to overwork. Yet Americans work 137 more hours on average per year than the Japanese. 260 more hours than the British, and 490 more hours than the French. We work more hours on average than any culture in the world. And it's not just that we work more. We often idolize our work and its twin, busyness. You see, busyness has actually become a virtue in our society, It's something that we readily admit to. Out of all the Ten Commandments of resting and all these types of things, there's there's this is the one that we're readily, you know, ready to admit to. 
You know, hustling after something that you, that you want is something like, yeah, man, go get it. And I guarantee you, if you ask someone how they were doing this morning, they said, good, just busy. But it's not even our work, really. It's this level of hurry and distraction that's an epidemic. Because work just doesn't stay at work, right? Technology has given us the ability to be connected 24-7 all the time. And you remember when things like the iPad and email and the iPhone were supposed to save us time? Y'all remember that lie? Okay. But there's this constant pressure to be in the know, to be informed, to be connected. And that's why Americans are actually touching, picking up their iPhones or phones 2,000 times a day on average. Spending hours scrolling. Reports would say that 75% of us sleep right next to our phone. 90% of us check our phone immediately when we wake up. I'm not going to have any hands raised right now. I'm just, just pointing out stats. That's fun, right? But the pandemic has altered even the way our work balance was going forward, right? Because basically now there is no home or work boundary. It has reduced coworkers to screens. It has pushed some into overwork. It has forced others to slow down to a point where they don't even know what to do with themselves. And what we're seeing right now is what many sociologists and uh, economists would, would call the great resignation, right? Where tons and tons of people are quitting their jobs. And much of this is due to burnout, to losing community, to losing passion, to a declining in mental health. And this resignation has caused a cycle in our society because since now people are not working as much, other people are pushed into overtime overworking. So there's a cycle of death, really. But some of you are like, Jace, I don't need to hear this sermon, dude. I don't have a problem with overwork. I love sitting on the couch. I love just, you know, eating some Cheetos and watching sports, whatever you want to say. But here's the other side of the coin. That some of us are addicted to this idea of pleasure, this pursuit of the next thing to chase, the next restaurant to try, the next vacation to go on. There's this idea if I could just go and find this new thing, it will finally fulfill me. It's this need to be in the know, to see that post, to share that meme for the Gen Zers, to watch that new show, to get your kid in every sport possible, because if, this, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And our solution to these things is like, hey man, I just need a self-care day. I just need the Calm app. I just need a vacation. I just need a nap. But here's the reality Some of those things can work, but you don't just need a nap, and you don't just need a spa day, because underneath the cultural virtue of busyness is a plague of restlessness. Because some of you are are walking into this room, and you're physically tired, like you stayed up too late last night, whatever it was. But you're not just physically tired, and I think you know this. 
I think you know that something underneath the surface is not right. There's this fatigue of the soul, as one writer would say. And why are we so tired? I love what John Mark Comer says in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. He says, when our innate human restlessness collides with the digital age, the result is a culture-wide crisis of emotional health and spiritual death. And as I was picking up my phone for one of the 2,000 times this week, I saw this picture. I brought it with me. And it's these archaeologists that, desert, that, uh, that found this Roman mosaic in the middle, essentially, of London. And I was struck by this picture because of its surroundings. It's really cool. Archaeology is cool sometimes. I mean, just ask some people. I don't know a lot about it. But directly behind this is you see these skyscrapers, right? And over these ancient remains stands this modern culture around, uh, it's bent around moving on and, and covering up. And as these people were on their hands and knees kind of discovering this, I couldn't help but think that that's often what we have done with God's design for you and for your work. That we've covered it up in the name of, of modernity, of our modern way. Because underneath your overwork, your distraction, your constant movement is a deeper desire. And this desire runs all the way back to the first page, pages of Scripture. And it's something that is woven into the very fabric of who you are. Because this morning, your restlessness is telling you something. And we have a great invitation from God to figure out what it is. So when you think of the Sabbath or when you think of rest, there, there could be many things that come to mind. It, it could make you think of an old, outdated term that no one uses anymore, maybe the Amish. Some, some think that it's something that the religious people do, or maybe you think of something that I discovered this week, the American appropriation of the term, the cowboy commandments. Has anybody seen these before? This, this is fascinating to me, okay? I'll just read four of them, and I'm going to use that accent, so just hang on, all right? And this, what this is, is the appropriation of the Ten Commandments and what they call the Cowboy Commandments. And it literally goes like this. Just one God. Honor your ma and pa. No tail and tails or gossiping. And number four, get yourself to the Sabbath meeting. Now, what is that saying, right? It, to some, the Sabbath can be an outdated term or simply a, a term for church, right? Just getting yourself to a place like you did today. But is that really all it is? And so what we're going to do in a few movements is track this theme of Sabbath or rest through the Scriptures to see how it unfolds throughout God's Word. And we're going to start in Genesis 1. And the term Sabbath, when you see it, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, Genesis 2 particularly, it literally means to stop, to rest, or to cease from labor. Simple enough, right? But the first time we see the term Sabbath is in the first couple of pages of the Bible. And anytime you see something that is mentioned in the first two chapters of Scripture and is continually tracked throughout the Scriptures to Genesis to Revelation, it's what's called a creation ordinance. It's, it's a fancy word for saying a timeless 
principle. And so when you see things in Genesis 1, 28 through, or 26 through 28, like the image of God, that's not something that was just in that culture. That's a timeless principle that you take from creation out into our world today. And mentioned in the first two chapters is this word Sabbath or rest. So if you start in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you see, if you track what God says, or what Moses says, God says something, it happens, and God declares that that thing is good. There's this repetition that you see through Genesis 1. And then you get to Genesis 2. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth, in verse 1, were finished. And all the hosts of them, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the, sab- on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Built into the fabric of creation, when God rests... He built a rhythm into the fabric of creation. Don't miss this. For everyone that likes to say that my hustle is great or I can't stop, God stopped. God's Sabbath. Now, is this saying that God got tired after his epic work week? No, no, no. Something is happening here that's deeper than just taking a break. God is after creating all things, finds his work complete. John Stott says when God rests, he is pointing towards completeness, order, and stability. There's nothing left to be done. That we often think of the creation of humanity as the pinnacle of creation, but it's not. It's the Sabbath in which God has created all things, stops and says, it is now time for me to enter in relationship with these humans into what I've created. But that's not all. It it wasn't until this point when God, as one writer states, he was so satisfied to enter in this relationship with his reality to be creator of this creature. It's God's ideal for his image bearers was for them to experience life of unbroken peace in relationship with himself. That's why we were created. This unbroken peace, this constant rest in who God is and who we are. Because underneath this idea of stopping, there is this deeper meaning that God delighted in what he saw. It was good, was the repeated refrain in this Seventh day was his way of stepping back and smiling over what he had created. But not only did God rest, he did two things. He blessed it and made it holy. You see, in Genesis 1, there's three things that are blessed. Animals, humans, and a day. Well, what did he do when he blessed humans and animals? What? In a short way of saying it, he gave them a life-giving capacity, right? He said, be fruitful and multiply. He's giving them the ability 
to reproduce, to give life to something else. And when he blesses this day, he's actually saying the same thing in a different way. This day will give life to your soul. And not only did he bless it, but he called it holy. Again, this is the first time that we see this word. Isn't that crazy? And God uses it for a day. And what does that mean? Abraham Herschel, the writer of the Sabbath, calls the Sabbath a cathedral of time. Meaning in many religions, to meet with God, you would have to go on a pilgrimage or to a place. When in reality, God blesses a day, a period of time. So to meet with God, you don't have to travel to a specific place. You don't have to pilgrimage. God carved out a day for you. God worked for six days, rested for one. And when God rests, he built a rhythm into the fabric of creation. And virtually every culture in the world practices a seven-day work week. And if you go and look at some of the studies of when people tried to say, hey, let's work for 10 days, it went terribly bad. Terribly bad. But oftentimes, we think about work and rest in this same dynamic. So I brought, a, I brought a graphic with me. This is often the way that we think about work, where we go work, 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 oh, vacation. Work, 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 oh, vacation. That's not the way God has designed the fabric of, of our design. Because in reality, there's this work, rest, work, Rest, work, rest. There's a rhythm. And when we go against the fabric of our being, no wonder we break down. And following the storyline of the scriptures, the idea of the Sabbath was given to God's people and practiced throughout several different methods that we don't have to have time to get, out, uh, get into today. But you can look at the idea of letting the land rest in, in Deuteronomy and Exodus. You can look at the year of Jubilee. You can look, of, look at the freedom of the slaves in the seventh year. This, this idea is woven throughout God's, uh, God's law. But most famously, the Sabbath is seen in the Ten Commandments, okay? If you look at Exodus 20, you'll see in verses 8 through 11, this is the longest commandment by far. Just look at it. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy." Notice what this command is rooted in. It's rooted in verse 11, which says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. What this command is saying is, Because God rested, I'm commanding you to rest. Because rest is in the fabric of creation, I am commanding you to rest. And notice, if you want to zoom out, of the Ten Commandments, notice where this command is located. In the first three, you see these commands to God, right? Put no other gods before me. 
all those, all those laws. But then after those, you see these laws in relation to people. And it's almost like this pivots in between a love for God and a love for neighbor. I can't remember who said that in the Gospels. I think it was Jesus, right? To love God and love neighbor. And it's almost out of this rest that we're enabled to do so. But here's, here, here's what happens to us. We see these commands... And some of you type A people are like, all right, you got to rest more. Got to get there. But notice what the commandments are rooted in. Look at verse 2, just right up in Exodus 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. What, what are the commands rooted in? It's, it's commands is rooted in freedom, in salvation. This was the precursor. He frees and then commands, and then his commands lead to more freedom, which is exactly the place that we see another instance in the Sabbath in the Scriptures. This will be on the screen in Deuteronomy chapter 5. If you go and look at the retelling of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy, which is a retelling of the law, that's what Deuteronomy means, in verse 15, it says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Same thing, but different, right? It's almost like the Sabbath has two interlocking strands here. It's in Exodus, it was rooted in the fabric of creation. And in Deuteronomy, it is rooted in the freedom that was granted. It's this idea of fabric and freedom. And what Moses is doing is he's reminding his people that in Egypt, you were a slave. You didn't get rest. You didn't get Sabbath. You worked every day until you died. The yoke was heavy. Pharaoh was upon you. But God says, I have set you free. Now rest. Back in Egypt, there's no freedom. Your work was never done. And how much of our work culture has appropriated from the idea of Egypt? A lot of us live in Egypt, that we've adopted this mindset that the work is never done. There's always something to, to do, always someone to please, always some promotion to chase after of someone I'm working towards or something I'm working towards. And this is why Jesus's ministry was so unique. Because Jesus' ministry started on a Sabbath day. And he started by reading Isaiah that he's going to break the chains of captivity. And he kept the Sabbath. Jesus kept the Sabbath through his whole ministry. But he didn't often follow its strict commands. We were talking about this in our community group just a minute ago. He healed on the Sabbath. He plucked grain on the Sabbath. And so in Matthew 11 and 12, what he does is he seeks to envision the Sabbath day by stating two things. Come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And he says that I am Lord of the Sabbath. Both of these have something, they, they correlate with each other. He's saying that... The only way to fight this plague of restlessness, the only way to find deep rest is not by following these strict commands, by not walking 100 paces. 
It's not even by not healing on, on a special day. He's saying that this day was always about him. It was about recognizing God's rhythm and our freedom. And when Jesus says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, he's declaring his rule over the holy day. Think about that for just a second. He is the ruler, not you. He makes the commands, not you. And when Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest, take my yoke upon you, he's saying, my yoke is not oppressive. It's not going to weigh you down. My yoke will not burn you out. My yoke will not lead you to a place where you're emotionally spent. It brings you freedom. It brings you into the presence of God because guess what? I am God. And when you take this theme throughout Scripture on the Sabbath, you're not left. Did we talk about anything to do and not to do about this? No, it's the invitation. It's a gift. You're not left to a day to drag yourself to church with your mom and pa. You're not left with some ancient practice. You're left with an invitation. And then this invitation, this Sabbath, is a rhythm that does three things for you. It embraces your design, it celebrates your freedom, and it renounces your autonomy. Uh, at the end of this, I'll tell you why this, this topic is especially passionate for me, but over the last six months or so, we have um, tried to do a Sabbath every Friday night. Okay? Historically, a Sabbath is a 24-hour term. Okay, 24 hours of no to-dos or have-tos. And for, for you, us, is a Friday night. I work, on sat- I work on Sunday, okay? But for you, it could be on Saturday night. The rhythm is what's important. But there's four main components of Sabbath rest that I, I, I want to, to give to you, and this is kind of how we frame the Sabbath in our house. The Sabbath is where we do four things. Stop. Rest, worship, and delight, or delight and worship. And these four characteristics come from the biblical theology of what we saw, right? We saw all of these things. We saw stopping, we saw resting, we saw delighting, and we saw worshiping. But here's what is underneath these things. They reject transcendence. What do I mean by that? They put limits on your humanity, I want you to think about certain ads that you hear. I want, to, I want you to think about what's promised to you if you buy someone's product. One of the things that it's telling you is that you will be like God. They don't say that. But you will be all-knowing. You will finally be fulfilled. And what the Sabbath does, what rest does, is it's an acknowledgement that I'm not God. And during the Sabbath, we put everything through a grid in our, in our house. Is this rest and is this worship? So let's go through these four characteristics really quick. So the first thing we do is we stop. To stop on the Sabbath is to embrace the design in the fabric of creation, right? It is to recognize that I am limited. I can't work forever. 
So like I said, the Sabbath is 24 hours of no to-dos or have-tos. It's, it's to, for, for us, it's to stop all work, paid and unpaid. I stop emails. I stop laundry. Hallelujah. We stop dishes. We stop texts. I stop social media. I stop everything. Because for 24 hours a week, I want to consciously embrace my design that there is a difference between being creator and being created. And here's what's so, what I hate, about 6 p.m. on Friday, is that there's usually something that I need to get done, and I run out of time. So what happens? I recognize that I can't control that. Any control freaks in here? You can't control that. We are not God. And here's, what, here's what's funny. Most people mistakenly believe that all you have to do to stop working is not work. But the inventors of the Sabbath understood that it was much more complicated. That's why they went to great lengths, great boundaries to stop. But without stopping, we won't practice presence. That's the point, right? So every Friday night at 6 p.m., my family stops when dishes are in the sink or when the dishes are put up. It tells me that time is out of control. We stop, we eat a meal, more on, more on that in a second. We light a candle and we begin. So the first thing we do is stop, but we don't just stop, we rest. Another piece of the Sabbath is resting, right? It's to recognize that we are limited beings that need rest, deep rest, right? You see, the Sabbath is not just doing nothing, it's about doing restful things. In Tim Keller's book, Every Great Endeavor, he speaks about this idea of rest underneath the rest. And this is part of our problem, that we don't just need a nap or a vacation. Because some of us, when we step away from our work, what happens? Our significance goes with it. Our search for identity goes with it. When we step away from kids' sports, our identity goes with it. So when we're stopping, the reason some people can't rest is because it's the basis of their significance. He would say this, that they're not merely doing the work that draws the salary. They are also working to chase away their insignificance. Resting requires a deeper rest. It's rest underneath the rest. And there's a reason why the promised land was promised to the people of God. And this was, this was called a place of rest because what was there? What was there in the promised land that was so needed for them? It was the dwelling place of God. That it was there where God dwelled with them and they would be his people. You see, rest for the soul comes when you dwell in the promised land, the unconditional love of God. It is to recognize that you've been set free, that you have been declared free, that you are no longer a slave to opinions, to job performance, to validation. On Sabbath days, we rest. We rest in the finished work of Christ, and we can rest because our validation is secure. We can sleep in. We can take a nap. We can take a walk. We can read a book. We can watch a movie. We can play a game. Knowing that I'm not a slave, I've been set free. And God says when you rest, it's a declaration of freedom. And anyone who overworks is a slave. 
And I love this quote by Justin Early. He says, the best rest comes when we realize that we don't have anything to prove anymore. So for me, on Sabbath days, when I rest, I reject things that disrupt my rest. And personally speaking, that's social media for me. It's technology. I've made it a practice to to delete most of my apps. I make my smartphone a dumb phone on Sabbath day. And Eugene Peterson called a day off, and I think I can say this, a bastard Sabbath. That's what he called it. Because a day off is just, oh, I gotta finish my bills, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. That's, That's not a Sabbath. A Sabbath is directed rest. It's to pay more attention to physical presence than online presence. It's to pay more attention to the people in the room with you than people who don't care about you out there. And here's what you find when you rest for 24 hours. You will find that the universe gets along just fine without you. Just fine. The third thing is delight. We don't just stop, rest, but we delight. We recognize that we were made for things beyond us. We were declared free, so guess what? We celebrate. When God stopped, he delighted in what he made. He delighted in the creation and his creatures. So in the 24 hours that we Sabbath at our house, we focus on delight. This is key for littles, okay? If you have little ones, we, I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and an almost two-year-old little foster boy. So you think it's just like, yes, Father, time for Sabbath? No, that's not what happens at our house, okay? We focus on this idea of delight. We focus on, hey, what is something that brings you joy? Let's do that today. So we start our our Sabbath dinner, like I said, around a table with food. Bonus, I love to cook and I love to eat. So we start our Sabbath day with a meal, We focus on the best parts of our week. We focus on things that gave us joy. For my four-year-old, that's what happened three hours ago, right? And we start this idea of walking into this rest with this delight. And the basis of this is what God has done for us, right? And so when we eat a meal, we can say, girls, can you believe that God created all these flavors and gave us 10,000 taste buds like Mike talked about last week, right? This food that brings us together. And for me, I, I love music. I have a Sabbath playlist. If you want to go on that, that's great. I love doing that. I drink really good coffee on Saturday mornings. I get donuts with my girls on Saturday mornings. It's the beauty and the messiness of life. Because here's what delight is meant to do. It's intentionally feeding beauty to your soul. That's what it is. So if it's nature for you, get out there. But where do you get the beauty? It's not that we're just worshiping nature. It's what God has given us. And so delight in what God has created. Delight in your relationship with God. That is what it's all about. But lastly, we worship. So don't just stop. We don't just rest. We don't just delight. But it leads to an idea of worship. We worship a God that has commanded and gifted us to Sabbath. We are not God. We renounce autonomy, individualism over myself, and all of this cultivates in worship. 
Your weekly Sabbath is a reminder that you are not God, your work does not validate you, and you have an ultimate day of resting that's coming. And here's the reality for me. The Sabbath is the most gospel-centered day of my week because I do nothing of productivity and God still loves me. I can't think of a better way of resting in the grace and mercy of God. Our Sabbath is because God commanded, but also because he loves us. Your hard work doesn't earn the Sabbath. It points to this ultimate day of rest in which we will stop, we will rest, we will delight, and we will worship for eternity. And Abraham Herschel says once again, unless one learns how to relish the taste of the Sabbath, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. Because the promise is this, we have a God that created all things and rested in completion, inviting us to dwell with him in his presence. And we have the Son of God that after doing everything required to save us, declared on a Sabbath day, it is finished inviting us to rest in him for eternity. And one day we will enter into the rest of God and he will be our God and we will be his people and the plague of restlessness will be cured. And this is what people miss because here's what we want to do. We want to reduce all of this to say, so I can't do this on a Sabbath day? Guys, if you love something and you value something, you are going to put boundaries around this. When you put boundaries around it, you are not making it legalism. You're showing its value. So for me, if I don't answer a text message on a Saturday, I'm sorry, but I value the rest and delight with my family and with my Lord. And for kids, okay, families are like, dude, you're idealistic at best here, if not deranged. For kids, it's not about rules. It's teaching them the foundation. Teaching them, guys, God rested, so we get to rest. God, he focus on the gift. He gave it to us. Connect it to the gospel that we can rest because God has given us rest because Jesus loves us. And so for us, on Friday night at 6 p.m., put dinner on the table, messiness ensues, people yelling, light a candle, and we say a prayer together. And I brought this prayer with us, with me. And I hesitated to do this, but I think it's, a, it's practical, and it's not anything, I, I wrote it, so it's not anything special. But it just says this, thank you, God, for a day of rest. We thank you for the grace to rest. And today, let us stop, rest, delight, and worship. Let us embrace our limits while we are resting in a God that has no limits. We place our minds, our bodies, and souls in your hands, knowing that you are working when we are not. And I get to explain what a limit is to a four-year-old every Friday night. It's great. So each week, we engage in a fight for rhythm, a fight to stop, a fight to rest, a fight to delight, and a fight to worship. And this is not easy. And some of you would say, Jace, this is impossible. I will show you my calendar 
and I will tell you that this is impossible. It's hard, y'all. Because you still got to change diapers. Seasons will change. You'll fail at this. But the ability to deeply rest is a life or death thing. Because no one can do without it. It's not natural. It's not simple. It's absolutely difficult. And it takes an enormous amount of discipline and practice. But this day, this day, every day for from Friday to 6 p.m. to Saturday at 6 p.m. is a day of resistance for me. It's a resistance against the flow of nature, culture, resisting against my time, my schedule. And if you do not have 24 hours to rest, you are going against the very fabric of God's design. So what do you do with kids? You bring them into the rest with you. And guys, that's going to look different for everybody. But it's this rhythm that reminds me of my true reality. My time, my days, my life do not belong to me. If rest is an embodiment of trust, that I can rest now because I trust God, how much would you say you rest? Rest is not a reward. It's a gift. You don't earn it. So I told you that this was born at a pretty hard season of my life, and 2020 was particularly hard, obviously, culturally, but in a, in a way that was personally hard in a way that I never felt before. Uh, if you know my wife and I, we've been in the adoption world for three plus years now. And during that season, we got matched with a, a little boy, and um, it looked like everything was going according to our plan. Uh, but at the very last moment, uh, things changed. And it was fantastic for our family. It, w- it was very, very hard for us. But it was fantastic for our family because we got to see a holistic relationship be healed. And we were a part of that. And it was super hard because it left us gasping for air. That was February of 2020. And then March 2020 came around. And if you know me, I... I I have a propensity towards workaholism. I, I love what I do, I, and almost too much. And I tend to find my meaning and identity in the things that I do, even when I play basketball, even you know, all through sports and athletics, all these things. And it transferred into the ministry. And if you make ministry a God, it is not a very good God. And so what I said was after this pretty traumatic thing happened in our family, I said, I'm just going to throw myself into work. Guys, there was no work. I couldn't meet with people. Couldn't do anything. And so in March 2020, I figured out how to live stream a, a video. So I guess you're welcome for that, right? Me and Keegan, we're on YouTube just trying to figure it out. And I threw myself in other things. And, and I found that at the end of that, I was just grasping and, I couldn't, and I, can't, I couldn't sleep and there was anxiety eating me and I could not find rest for my soul. And when I, when I came to the end of myself, I had a mentor that said, Jace, you don't know how to grieve. You don't know how. You're just finding other things to make you satisfied. 
And so I had to stop. And I had to read. And I had to repent. And I had to put these boundaries in place to cultivate a life in God. This is not something that's just, hey, you want a better life? Here you go. Guys, this is life. This is freedom. Because every Friday night is a reminder for me that I am not God. I am not a slave. I have been set free. And I can rest. Because if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Let's pray. God, there's people in this room tonight, or this morning, that walked in here extremely burdened. Yes, they're physically tired, tired of the demands. Maybe some of us are just tired of what's going on in the world. They don't want to face any more suffering or tragedy. Some of us are just extremely restless, and it manifests itself into anger. It manifests itself into restlessness, into uh, anxiety and depression, seeking after pleasure after pleasure after pleasure. But God, help us see. Help us be convicted of our restlessness. Help us face it head on, knowing that we have a God that has said it is finished. That there's no more striving. There's no more clutching. That you have invited us in this cathedral of time to rest into you. To rest and to to declare your, your freedom over us. That we are not slaves to the opinions, to the, to the culture that says you've got to do more and be more. God, I pray for the person that maybe felt like me. Could cover up pretty good. They could get through the day. But at night, it's the turmoil of the soul. It's praying that the sun doesn't have to come up because you're going to have to live another fake day. God, help them find rest for their souls. And that is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest the most beautiful promise in scriptures. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcba.com.